0: Welcome back to How I Deal, where we examine a single past closed deal, how it played out that way, and provide some helpful sales tips along the way for all you sellers out there today. My name is Taylor Dahlem, full cycle account executive, now content guy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Junior Latte, the Deal Darth Vader here at Pickle. June, what's up, man?
1: It's episode 35! Nothing better than to quote the great wise Darth Vader, I find your lack of faith disturbing. I suppose it's a plea to have an awesome year because even sis have faith in something. Deep thoughts. Exactly.
0: That, That went over my head, but I believe it'll resonate with somebody. A quick explainer for those who are tuning in for the first time or maybe haven't listened to us for a while. Welcome back. Each conversation, we chat through a past deal. What does that mean from start to finish? We want to cover where you came across this prospect, whether it's on LinkedIn or on a target account list or even inbound, all the way to getting that deal signed, closed one and kicking off implementation. But we want to leave out all names, all places that allows us to keep things a little light in terms of NDAs and things like that, but allowing us to go a lot deeper. Our guest today is Charlotte
1: Lloyd, coming to us from the UK. Charlotte has a wealth of experience in sales as a consultant and a founder. She's currently the sales director at Global Data, specifically Investment Monitor, a branch of Global Data, while also co-hosting the Simply Sales and Marketing podcast, which I actually joined. So when that drops, I'll make sure everyone here listening gets to listen to that too as well. Charlotte, we're stoked to have you here. Give us an interesting fact. Tell us about your role and the problems that your company
2: solves. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to dive into one of my deals. So I made a conscious decision many years ago to go into sales. I'm probably older than the average sort of account executive sales director, I used to be, for a period of 10 years, commission only in the B2B space, selling traditional advertising. So that was a huge learning curve. It led me to perhaps engage in in some sales practices, which I would not recommend any salesperson do, like discounting heavily. And I am from the UK. I actually live in Spain, and I used to sell a lot in Spanish and Portuguese. And I'm now back selling in English.
0: Tell us a little bit about what you do full-time now and then the company and the problem you're solving too.
2: Yeah, so Investment Monitor, we are a digital storytelling MarTech solution. We help locations to create content. So most of them struggle creating content being able to put that content in front of the right people. So most of the locations I speak with are looking to win a DHL or an Amazon, create jobs, um, basically boost the economy for the city or region that they represent. And they are typically a very traditional mindset. So they're normally used to going to meetings face-to-face to trade shows and events. They haven't really used a lot of sort of MarTech technology. So yeah, we basically help them to position themselves in front of companies that could choose them as the next location and obviously help them book meetings quicker, more efficiently through using content as opposed to doing sort of the cold outreach themselves.
0: Love it. And I guess that kind of a natural transition here, what deal are you walking us through today?
2: Today, I'm going to walk you through a deal. It's a North American city, obviously not going to mention the name. This was around a tier three sort of account. So not a top account, but population, 600,000 people. So when I look at sort of the criteria for my accounts, I don't go on how much revenue because it's not revenue that they're not bringing in revenue. I would look at population, some of their recent wins. So which businesses, which companies invested Did an Amazon invest? How many jobs did they create? So I'm going to be talking about about that.
0: Is
1: this like you could be working with a mayor or I don't know who do you who would you typically talk to? It's a location.
2: Correct. Yeah. We do actually work with mayors and governors. Typically, they would be interviewed. They wouldn't necessarily be part of the sales process. And then so obviously, so my key people that I'd speak to in each city or region would likely report into the mayor or the governor. So, Mm. yeah, held accountable by the politicians.
1: Okay. Well, I live close to the mayor of my own city. So if you need Ah. an intro, let me know. (laughs) So talk to us more about this deal. How'd you find out about them? And of course the research piece, you touched on a few aspects of those, right? Like it's not necessarily how much revenue they're bringing in, but growth. So talk to us about some of those.
2: Yeah. So I contacted three people originally on the business development side, or they call it the investment side, investor services team. They're the ones that are responsible for speaking to companies that could choose their location. I found them on LinkedIn SalesNav. And back, this was back in 2020 when COVID was around. So I'd only just got my subscription to SalesNav. I'd never used it previously. In all the 10 years that I was, in sales and commission only before that. So that might horrify some people. And (laughs) I sent an email. I want to read this because this is the email that I wrote two years ago. And even a year ago, I was writing stuff like this. And it was, hi, name. Okay, this is the start of the email. Are you ready? I'd love to have a five-minute call with you to learn more about your FDI, we call it Foreign Direct Investment, and investment strategy going forward. Then I bullet point some questions. What are your main areas of interest at the moment? What is your city looking to attract in terms of business, industries, and job titles? Because they target those kind of people. And how have your needs or target areas as an investment promotion agency, they're also called investment promotion agencies, changed since COVID-19? Below that, in bold and underlined, when later this week would work for you or one of your team to have a call? How about July 20th or July 27th? Thanks, Charlotte.
0: <laughs> Brutal. Obviously, we're lumping in a few different aspects of the awareness and beer research. But the final product here, the first email, like you said, there's a lot to it. A lot of meat on the bone. And it was like a choose your own adventure, right? Like, here's... <laughs> Choose Several a different adventure. bullet points of what you could care about.
2: It I'm actually sure. got a reply. It was like, sure, <laughs> let's book a time. I would never, it didn't talk about their problems or how Investment Monitor solves those problems. So I was coming at it from a very much, I'm excited about this new shiny tool and I want to ask you some questions. These And the point to make here is I could have found this out with my own research what their areas of interest are. I know they look at aerospace, so all the industry sectors that they target. How have their needs changed since COVID-19? Really, I should be the one saying, I've spoken to several cities similar to yours and they're saying this. So yeah, today I probably wouldn't get any replies to that kind of email.
1: Right, and some of those aspects of the email would be killer to bring to discovery though right? Is after the meeting is booked, you bring that and you say, Hey, it looks like you're interested in aerospace and you present the research that you've done. And then you tie all your research together with your hypothesis or what you think the value you can bring to the table. Um, I think it's like, there's so much there. And to me, it reads that you really understand the space and what they are potentially thinking about or caring about. But yeah, traditional like emails this day and age, it's like, let's trim things down, make it super short, much punchier, maybe only one question in there. Um, I know the questions is a big thing, right? Cause it's like, you've asked me three questions and I'm not sure which one I need to think about most. (laughs) So (laughs) that can be a challenge. But it still hit the holy grail. So obviously there's something here, right? The holy grail being one email, one response. Yeah. So you book a meeting. What does this look like, right? You're rolling into discovery. Who did you meet with and what did you learn?
2: Yeah. So I met with one of the sort of head business developers. She had never used sort of a tool like ours. So our solution is relatively new. It's two years old. It's a disruptor most traditional, most locations, they call themselves business developers. They don't have SDRs or AEs. They're not SaaS. So they, they use a very traditional business model to, to generate leads. And she hadn't heard of anything or she didn't understand. And I don't think I fully understood at that point, just what I was actually selling and how it worked. Cause we hadn't tried it on any location. So she said, accuracy is the number one thing for them. They were using a competitor tool, not really a direct competitor tool, but a tool that would give them data. And um, that data was basically needed somebody to data mine to be able to get to the companies they needed to get to. It was taking up a lot of time. They needed some good good leads, good contacts in real time. They wanted more of a qualification element around those. So they were struggling with the sales side. Like typically what most locations do is outsource their sales lead gem because they hate doing the cold calls and all the outbound kind of outreach and obviously covid was big back then so not being able to attend trade shows events face-to-face meetings meant that they were thinking of pivoting and taking on a different strategy and the solution that i sell tailored perfectly to that so those were the main points um I didn't perhaps dive as deep as I could have done back then into some of the challenges and what the impact of those challenges meant. What I didn't really uncover the impact, but we managed to get to, so it was more of a sort of features and benefits kind of pitch, which makes me sick now thinking about it. But we got to the demo and we got to the demo and more people came on at that point.
0: Charlotte, you mentioned, obviously you selling to a location and we talked about mayors and governors being involved, but... Selling into the government, right? Like to me, that's that sounds like a nightmare. What, like <laughs> when you, you mentioned before we start recording, that like, governments don't want to qualify. And I'd yeah. love for you to expand on that. Maybe like, what does that look like compared to what Junior and I do every day, which is selling software to other salespeople, right? It's a lot easier of a process than selling to a government. What does that look like?
2: Yeah, so selling to a government challenging on several levels. The first is that. The accountability of their role, it's hard for them to get fired because the policies in place. They're judged on how many jobs they bring in each year, how what the value of that company sort of investing is as well. So their Amazon or DHL might bring a thousand jobs and two or three million dollars worth of investment. Great. That's what they want. I would say that 80% of them don't have any specific metrics for that. So, they might have very generic metrics. We need to bring in $30 billion worth of investment in 10 years. But what's the metric for that first year or the second year? They can't tell you. So, the big difficulty that I have is trying to quantify the impact. And often I can't quantify the impact in terms of dollars, perhaps jobs, but they'll say, We've got these problems. We're not getting enough projects but we also don't know how many projects we're missing. We don't know how many jobs we're not creating or how much investment that we're losing in terms of the dollar value. So that presents a challenge in itself and it gets them to open up and think about that a bit more. So typically what I do instead of focus on that, and if I can't get a concrete answer from them, I would then look at what's this costing you in terms of time? You know, what's, And most of them will have bandwidth issues. They'll be short-staffed. They can't take on any more people. And what tends to happen is what they've done, they've outsourced their lead generation to consultancy firms, so to sales companies that promise them for $20,000, we'll get you 20 super qualified leads that are going to land a project in your location. And that's all well and good. But it's given them a mindset of they focus very much. I know there's a shift now in SaaS where it's not the ROI that, that when they're evaluating a new solution, they don't tend to focus on the ROI. But for locations, they, they do focus on the ROI because yeah. they've been used <clears throat> to using this sales lead gen, which is the only thing that they don't know about anything else. that's more that uses technology to help them get leads. So... Quite tricky having to deal with, it's a mindset shift. So I say, look, we're the Uber of location marketing. Before Uber, getting your leads was difficult. Getting your taxi was difficult, wasn't it? So now you've got this new solution, which is actually going to revolution. It will make their lives better. But yeah, the key things are, it's not, you're selling a SaaS tool to governments who don't know very much about technology. And it's a bit like trying to get your grandma to fly an airplane. <laughs> it's
1: hard, yeah, very hard. Not an easy task for sure. I no. love the comparisons that you made though, where you're able to say it's like the Uber. Before it was just taxis, very limited. And now you're opening up resources for them with my super limited knowledge of locations and what we've been talking about. In my mind, I'm like project-based one, they need a Walmart, they need a TJ Maxx, and they need a Ross because those three companies follow each other everywhere they go. Yeah. But that's more so observation than anything else. It sounds like you could really drill down the aspect of it's COVID time, events, trade shows, those things that they used to typically do are out yeah. the window. And it is a new age, you know, of, yeah, like you talk about generating leads, which can be super hot. If I knew there was a company out there that I could pay 20 grand for super hot leads, I would probably consider that too. Right. But you you naturally get to a demo stage here. What does yeah. that look like? I'm really interested in the aspect of you've been selling for 10 years and you mentioned, this is like your first time selling something that has a demo product aspect to it. So I'd love to talk about that as well.
2: Yeah. So this is one of my first demos Oh, it was a, an incredibly badly designed PowerPoint to start with. I know they say it doesn't really matter how the PowerPoint looks, but it's what's on the PowerPoint and how you talk around it. So I would say try not to worry too much about how your slides are designed, although I did at the time. Yeah, I was reading off the slides, actually reading and was really focused on showing them the features, the benefits. At that point, didn't have any social proof, no, no case studies, nothing it really was. Here's what we can do for you. Here's why it will work for you. It didn't talk about anything. Here are the problems and the challenges that you face. And going forward, this is how we can tailor to that. So it was very different. I was super nervous, really nervous, because I think there must have been on that demo, maybe four to five of them on it. And I I could feel in my voice, it was like going through the slides. And I think I I hadn't really quite worked out how to tell the story how to position the investment monitor, the solution to them, an easy sort of we're the Uber of location marketing. I never said anything like that. So I was using a lot of technical jargon. Those awful buzzwords were an end-to-end marketing solution, were AI powered, first-party data, third-party data. And I thought that was it. So really, I didn't explain very well the context, the problems and talk about it in a way that would be easy for them to understand and to grasp. So I think at the end of the first demo, I left them more confused than when we started.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Charlotte, this kind of leads into a little bit of the next question here, but you have teed it up a little bit. Like it is your first demo. It is a, yeah. a, the first time you're selling something that, you know, isn't just an advertisement or something that here's the price. Do you want to do it? Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, like it's going to lead to natural barriers. It's going to, whether you create them or they create them internally, externally, like maybe walk yeah. us through a couple of those on top of what you've already mentioned.
2: So yeah, no, in terms of just one thing I want to say as well is on this demo, I actually didn't. So this was the sort of walkthrough, have a look, see what you think. Then if you like it, we'll go on to some recommendations, pick proposals and you can choose. I didn't mention the price at all at the end of this demo, not even at the beginning. And it was a big sort of failure on my part, because I thought that by withholding the price, I would be showing the value. And then they would be bought into the sort of higher price that I wanted to to show. And big mistake, because I put all my eggs in one basket, hoping that done this demo, to me, it felt like it was a big it was a big thing. It was one of my first demos. I felt like it went well, even though I was nervous. And I thought, yeah, we'll go to the proposal demo. We'll go through some different proposals and targets. And they just assumed danger of assumption that they would really be into what I had to sell and the price.
1: And it seems like the, withholding the price, it can be very debatable in this space, right? Some people are like, here's the price or When we were talking beforehand, I love the way that you put it where you're like, hey, typically people spend a range of X and Y, right? Just so you know, before we hang up. And if that's a huge red flag, then let's talk about it. Whereas myself, like in, in Discovery, before they hang up, I'm like, hey, let me give you the price before you leave so that you can mull it over and maybe you won't ghost me because you'll know beforehand what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of value in getting the price out of the way first. It's not negotiating on what the price is going to be. It's just letting them know that the ballpark is there. Through this whole deal, you've been working with two biz dev people, right? Yeah. Not necessarily the mayor, not necessarily the governor, but did you have all the right people in the room? Are these the people that typically buy?
2: So they were influencers, champions, but the actual main decision maker wasn't on the call. And I only managed to bring her in a few. So I actually didn't, I didn't get the deal. The price was too high. They wanted to think about, it. they said no. And the person that needed to be on the call eventually came on in the second. So I went through a second round of discovery demos and she was on all of those. And I targeted her as well as the others. So when they told me that they sent me, this was, this is what they wrote to me as my rejection emails. So I'm going to read it to you. It's like, thank you, Charlotte. You have been wonderful to work with. Haven't, hasn't worked with me, but everything that I did, and we okay. will continue to keep you updated on our development initiatives. As we move forward, mm. we will certainly keep in touch. So I obviously kept them into sort of a, I wouldn't say what well, cadence, I contacted them. I also involved the other decision maker, And then I eventually got them, I think about eight months later, on another call. And then we went through the process again. And we looked at a different pricing, which they were like, okay, we'll do it. Then their their sort of procurement got involved and said, we've changed our process. And the procurement process is the worst. So they said, yes, we're going to do this. We're going to do it at this level. The procurement process t- took me a year to get through. So after when they initially said yes, it was another year. So yeah, two years. We've in total.
1: we've seen this where procurement is the huge holdup, and getting in front of that beforehand can be really helpful. I also just want to say before we move to your tips that yeah. it's okay to totally work a deal without the decision maker. If you and the champion and the mobilizer have the understanding that let's come to a conclusion as if we think this will be helpful, if we think it'll work, and then we work together to bring in the decision maker, right? Whereas you just work the deal thinking, okay, this is the person they're going to buy. And then found out after the fact that you had to redo it. Yeah. So a lot of lessons, right? A lot of lessons learned on this one. Some lessons I think account executives are probably feeling right now, right? Not everyone has been in sales for 10 years. So you, especially SaaS sales, right? Which is different. So you have to experience those. And in some cases, hearing about them can just make it so you avoid those pitfalls moving forward. But- Through this deal and throughout your career, what are three tips that you would mention to any account executive to help them inch closer to close one?
2: Yeah, so it's actually gonna be four because what I wanna say is involve the key stakeholders. Don't just rely on the champion and the mobilizer or influencers. Really make sure that you've involved everyone. If the key stakeholder says, speak to my X, Y, Z, fine, but just make sure that you keep them involved. Don't take anyone for granted Big thing as well, I want to say, is detach yourself from the outcome, which even after y- years of experience in sales, I changed roles. This was a new role for me. My brain was taking in so much new information, selling something SaaS related, which I've never sold before. I really was upset when this deal didn't come in the first time around. And now I look back and think, well, I made a mess of it. Um, <laughs> you know, so I didn't deserve to bring the deal in because I didn't do a lot of the things I just didn't do. Very well. So I was woefully upset when that did not come in. So make sure that you just tell yourself this deal is not going to come in. Like same with meetings, this meeting's not going to happen. It's going to be cancelled because if you <laughs> go in with that expect that those low expectations, then you're not going to get disappointed, right? And another one: Do not withhold the price. Super important. Try to get bring up price as soon as you can definitely buy second call don't go any further without mentioning the price i thought that withholding the price would mean that somehow the client would see the value no the client you're gonna you can say the price on the discovery give them a range see where they sit is this going to be mean that we can't do business where would you sit within that range that's what i tend to do and then shut up don't try and justify the range wait for them to ask so say look our product, our solution is between $50,000 and $250,000. See what they say. Then you might want to say, where do you think you, you are in that range? See what they say. And then they're probably going to say, okay, it's that's quite a big range. We're probably on the mid range or lower range. Okay, so this is what this would include. But yeah, do not withhold price because the prospect determines the value, not you. Third one or well, fourth one, <laughs> disqualify <laughs> to qualify. Super important. This deal took me two years. In the end, it was only $50,000. People are going to be like, what are you doing with a deal? It's like fifty dollars Exactly. Okay. They want this, but is it worth your time? Is it worth the prospect's time? Are they going to renew? What's the renewal process going to look like? So there's some deals that really are not worth sort of the check. You need to be able to know. So You know, back to disqualify to qualify, make sure that your prospect is also, you know, this is a good fit for them to solve their problems, but really look for the no, because obviously you need to have a really, a realistic pipeline. A realistic pipeline means more sales.
1: Charlotte, it's been great chatting with you. A great deal to walk through. It seems like maybe first close lost and then able to pull it over to close one and then maybe even thought, was this totally worth it? I don't know, but (laughs) you did get the check, right? You did get it across the line, which is always fun. Something you can use momentum wise. So thanks so much for joining the podcast. For all those listening, Charlotte posts great content on LinkedIn. Go follow her. Uh, I imagine they can drop you a message, right? That's the best way to connect. Absolutely.
2: I reply as long, unless it's a very bad sales outreach message, then I'm not going to (laughs) reply to that.
0: There you have it. And just like that, another episode of How I Deal is in the books. Thanks again, Charlotte, for joining us, walking us through that harrowing but really cool lesson-filled <laughs> deal. And thanks to everyone for tuning in. We will see you next time.